the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Today we're going to come to one of the most hotly debated and difficult portions of Scripture in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. However, I will read verses 1 through 8. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. The author writes, Therefore, let us get past the elementary stage in the teachings about the Christ, advancing on to maturity and perfection and spiritual completeness, doing this without laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God, of teaching about washings, ritual purification, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. These are all matters in which you should have been proficient long ago. And we will do this, that is, proceed to maturity, if God permits. For it is impossible to restore to repentance those who have once been enlightened spiritually and who have tasted and consciously experienced the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted and consciously experienced the word of God and the powers of the age, world, to come, And have fallen away. It is impossible to bring them back again to repentance. Since they again nail the Son of God on the cross. For as far as they are concerned. They are treating the death of Christ. As if they were not saved by it. And are holding him up again to public disgrace. For the soil that drinks the rain. Which often falls on it produces crops useful to those for whose benefit it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it persistently produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. Now, I will say that the Amplified, which I read from consistently, and as you know, they expand the word by taking from the Greek and expanding it. Now, the peculiarity of the excellence of the Greek is that there are many definitions for each word. And if you have a particular bent or disposition towards a certain doctrine, a certain thinking, uh, predisposition, if you will, 
then you can pick and cherry pick the Greek definitions that will take you along that pathway or will seem to affirm. And that's what they've done here in the Amplified in a couple of occasions. So you will have see me point that out. I'm not disagreeing with Scripture, so don't go out of here and say I'm rewriting it. No, I'm not. I am simply saying that they have chosen the wrong definition, and in some cases they have put words in there that don't exist in the original text. Now, before you get on the Amplified, I will say that every translation has its own issues. Okay, beginning in verse 4, he writes, For it is impossible to restore to repentance those who have once been enlightened spiritually and who have tasted and consciously experienced the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit. Now, again, in these verses, we have one of the principal arguments of those who deny the security of the believer. However, the original language uses the word adunatos, adunatos, which translated means unable to be done or impossible to restore. Now, what that would mean for those unfortunate people who uh, ascribe to the teaching that salvation is unmissable or you can lose it, is that they only get one chance at salvation. And once they mess it up, they don't get any more because it's impossible to restore them. You following that? It doesn't make any sense. Now, an Arminian will find room for argument, but that's what it says in the original language. Okay? Now, the first question you would deal with is, who is the author addressing here? And I, I will say at the outset, I know that sometimes exegesis can be a bit dull. In this case, though, I think it's warranted, so please bear with me. Unfortunately, in modern Christianity, we think anything that's not simple and casual is uh, boring. But unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, this word to us and to the Hebrews is neither simple nor casual. So we're going to take it apart. We're going to address the Greek, and I will promise to mispronounce several of those words, okay? For all you Greek experts out there. All right, the first word you see there is for. Now, what does that indicate? It indicates that we're continuing where we left off in the previous verse. In verse 3, the author writes that he wants to press them on to maturity, right? He wants to push them on to maturity, and then he adds a very interesting caveat. He says, if God permits. Now, who would God not permit to press on to maturity? It doesn't make any sense. Who are we talking about? And so he continues with the exception in verse 4. The exception of those who would be pressed on to maturity. This is what he's addressing in verse 4, beginning with the word for, those who have once been enlightened, okay? And the word enlightened is fotizo. And in the Septuagint, this verse is translated, that word is translated to mean to be instructed, to have knowledge, 
meaning they were instructed in the doctrine of the gospel and understood it. But it is a natural comprehension, okay? It is an external teaching. The Amplified translates it differently, which only serves to add to the confusion. But it is not a spiritual knowing. It's not a spiritual gnosko. A spiritual knowing, which all of you could bear witness to, is an intimate awareness that is constant. It's not a singular event. As you became aware that God is love, was that sufficient in and of itself? Are you being made aware that God is love every moment of your living? It is a constant. It is a present tense happening. That is spiritual knowledge because we serve the I am and all that is true of him is constantly true of him and it is ongoing and we are the fruit of that. We have that being expressed through us. Everything else is event-oriented, it's time-oriented, and God doesn't live in time. He created it for us. So, verse 4 continues with, who have tasted, consciously experienced the heavenly gift. Now, the word tasted is geomai, and it means to try the flavor of. To try the flavor of, okay? Just a taste. It does not mean to consume or to devour. They had just a taste of the heavenly gift. Well, the question is, what's the heavenly gift? Well, unfortunately, heavenly gift has no parallel elsewhere in Scripture. But most commentators believe that it is a reference to the coming of Christ, which is a, a constant theme in the early church. We don't do so much about that, but that's literally what he's talking about. It's a reference to the coming of Christ or, for this Hebrew group, the coming Messiah. And while they believed that Christ was the Messiah, they didn't know him as Savior. So seeing him as the Messiah was their taste of the heavenly gift. The heavenly gift is Jesus. Okay? And have shared in the Holy Spirit. And that throws a lot of people right there. Your translation may have partakers, which I believe is better. That's actually the definition of the original language, partakers. The word is met to us, and it is different than the word used for Christians in Colossians 1.12 or in 2 Peter 1.4. The word here simply refers to companion, okay? It refers to an external proximity rather than an internal union. So they had witnessed the activity of the Spirit of God. These apostates were never born of the Spirit. Their bodies were never his temple. It means they were witnesses of the work of the Spirit. And please remember that this is during the apostolic era that more than likely the apostles came and discipled the believers in that church. So these apostates probably were witnesses of all kinds of miraculous works of the Spirit. So therefore, they had participated, they had experienced the Spirit of God. They had a share in his activity. Verse 5. 
and have tasted and consciously experienced the good word of God and the powers of the age, the world to come. Again, tasted is the same Greek word that means to try the flavor of the good word of God. Now, what he's talking about there is the rhema of God, the utterances, not the lagos. And they had heard the messages concerning God and Jesus. They had heard it in this little assembly where the disciples were ministering. And the age to come is believed to be a reference to the new age ushered in by the Messiah. An age of miracles in the apostolic era and in the coming kingdom. So in a very real way, they had experienced in terms of external experiences and teachings and understandings, in a very real way, these individuals had full exposure to the new covenant, to the living Christ, to all that he had brought to his people in that age. They had been exposed to it all, and they were left literally at the beginning of it. I think there was an excitement generated. We read on, as we read on in Hebrews, you will see that that church, early church, came into persecution, that they stood their ground, that there was excitement, there was working of the Spirit. You know, it was, it was a going concern until spiritual laziness, lethargy, a general appetite for worldliness began to grow among them. And then they found themselves weak of faith. So, the rhema, verse 6. Then they had fallen away, and then have fallen away. It is impossible to bring back again to repentance, since they nailed the Son of God on the cross, since they again nail the Son of God on the cross. For as far as they are concerned, they are treating the death of Christ as if they were not saved by it and are holding him up again to public disgrace. Now, fallen away, the Greek word there is very strong and emphatic. It is a complete falling away, a total turning away from Christianity. It is a willful turning away from God's revealed truth. It is like the disciples who turned and would follow Jesus no more in John 6. It is not an impulse. It is a full desertion. They heard him. They had seen. They had heard. They had even felt the wooing of the Spirit of God, yet they would not yield. Now, notice this is all in past tense. They fell away. It's not referencing those who might fall away, those who will fall away, but those who have become apostate and returned to Judaism. It is impossible to bring them back. The word there is anakanizo. It is to renew. That's what he's saying. It is impossible to renew them. It means to restore to their original state. Now, they were excited to learn, to hear, and they were moved by the Spirit and had witnessed his saving power but refused to turn to him. It is impossible to renew them unto repentance, that is, to return them to the revelation for the changing of their mind. Now, here's something that holds true. 
You know that as God gives you revelation, that if you do not live in his presence and practice in truth, that revelation will begin to dull in your mind. The reality, the impact, the passion, the truth of all that God has done in your life will begin to become vague. And an indifference will well up in you. And an arrogance about what you've heard and what you know. Now in past tense. But Ginosko, the knowing of the truth of God is an intimate relationship. An intimate relationship like any other relationship, if neglected, is not experienced. So, to a large degree, both the believers and the apostates had grown dull. The apostates had nothing to cling to because they had not yielded to the Spirit of God. They were, in toto, sons of Adam. The believers had walked away. Now, here's the thing about carnality, which is flesh, meat, carnal. That is that they will live, the carnal will live just like the lost. Well, you say, well, that means that they will enter into similar sins and act like the lost. No, it means even more than that. It means that they will grow dull and insensitive to the truth of God. Insensitive to the wooing of the Spirit. Their hearing will become dull to the voice of God in their souls. I read a particular illustration about a man who bought, this is when they first came out, bought an alarm clock. He was very proud of it. He lived in a building with a lot of other people, a lot of other men. He was very proud of that alarm clock. And he was saying, I'll I'll never be late again. And the first morning it went off, it was so loud and so abrupt that he jumps out of bed, his heart's beating, and everybody in the place is up. So he says, well, I'll wrap it in a little blanket so it won't be quite so obtrusive. This next morning it went off again, still woke him up. He said, Man, this thing works great, but I wish it wasn't so loud. So he moved it a little further away from his bed. The third morning, same kind of thing, but not quite as urgent. Eventually, he gets up and he complains. You know, this alarm clock just isn't working. The alarm's broken. I am never hearing it. Well, is it that he never hears it? Or is it because he has so gotten used to it that it never affects him? You can grow used, indifferent. I see people come to service after service after service, not this crowd, of course. With this indifference, this dispassionate look, some of them doing everything they can do to keep awake, not allowing the Spirit of God to speak to them to any great degree. I guess they're checking it off the box. Now, I know some of you get overtired and you come in here and it's peaceful and it's hard not to drift off. I'm not addressing that. I'm addressing the passion, the appetite for him. I see in the uh, Internet pictures of churches in foreign countries enduring all kinds of things in order to meet together and, and share the word of God. I think of the Christians who gathered around dead men's bones in, the, in a graveyard in order to worship who literally risk their own lives. What this speaks of is a hunger 
a passion, a desire, not just to hear about Jesus. It's not about Jesus, it's Jesus. They were passionate to know him, to gather around the truth of him, to afford themselves of every opportunity to grow and to expand in all that he is. And like Paul, with every small expansion, there was new revelation, new fullness, new wonder. It would be impossible to renew them unto repentance, that is, to return them to that revelation for changing of their mind. This is not about God's pursuit of them. This is about their total rejection of the revelation of Christ. They will never return. Why? Since they again nail the Son of God on the cross for as far as they are concerned, they are treating the death of Christ as if they were not saved by it. They are holding it up again to public disgrace. Well, they're doing that because they weren't saved by it. They are not acting in the ignorance of their brethren at the crucifixion, yelling, crucify him, crucify him. No, they had seen, they knew the truth. They were standing with the crowd that was yelling, crucify him. And they were not saying, this Jesus, crucify this imposter, crucify this this charlatan, because that is what we believe he is. No, they were saying, crucify the revealed. Messiah, crucify the expression of God's salvation, crucify the Son of God, put him to death because I will not live to the truth. They were not acting in ignorance. The word that is used there, anasta raho, anasta raho, which means to raise him up on the cross to hold his sufferings up for public scorn because they went back to Judaism. All that they had been taught, they were declaring Christ to be lost, an imposter, a deceiver, a fake. They were declaring him as deserving of execution. They were apostate, never to repent, never to change their mind, never to return. They followed him no more, and that was the issue. They were just following. Verse 7 and 8. For the soil that drinks the rain which often falls on it and produces crops useful to those whose benefit is, is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it persistently produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed and it ends up being burned. There are two plots of ground here, side by side, receiving the same amount of rain, the same amount of care, the same amount of cultivation. And one is producing and the other is not. So the one that is not producing is only fit for burning because it is apostate. They were receiving externally all that God has given them, but refusing to allow the truth to take root in their being. What they do represents the fruit of the flesh. That's the only fruit they can produce. And what does the flesh produce? Thorns and thistles. 
I see the parable of the sower all the time in the lives of people in my own life. I find myself trying to be the gardener and deciding what to plant and what to pull up. Desiring to grow the fruit of the flesh alongside of the fruit of the Spirit. When we refuse to allow the Spirit of God to cultivate truth in our lives through disobedience and spiritual laziness, we are leaving ground for the thorns and the thistles. They are invasive, and soon we will find that we are weak in faith and have trouble trusting in our God. Spiritual maturity is not a passive pursuit. If the appetite is not watered and fed every day through the pursuit of intimate communion with him, if it is not cultivated through obedience and the study of his word, you will find yourself feeding on the pods of this world and slowly starving as the thorns and thistles of your soul prosper. But thanks be to God that we can walk in his glorious light, created as beings of the light, literally birthed forth to express the fullness of all that God is, be filled with all that he is, and allow all that he is to be the light of this world. Can you imagine a singular light standing in the face of a world that is literally covered in darkness? filled with thorns and thistles, that we do not have to have these things bearing fruit in our soul. For the whole of that soul belongs to Him. Be ye filled with Him. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.